We are on the cusp of a major social change. Do you feel it? Even if you don't, make no mistake, change is coming, and it is going to be unforgettable. I'm your host, Dr. Sarah Hart, and here on Prime Spark, where we work with and on behalf of women over 55, I want to help you find that spark that will ignite your way forward, reflect your gifts to the world, and illuminate your path through this next stage of life. Through these podcast conversations, I hope to inspire you to see how you can make a significant contribution to some of the gnarly problems that are facing us right now. Join me, and together, let's discover our prime spark. Hi, I'm Sarah Hart. Welcome to Prime Spark. I'm so happy you're here. Prime Spark is designed for women over 55 or close, with a goal to help us all live our happiest, most fulfilling, successful, productive lives now and in the future. The mission of Prime Spark is to change the way our society sees and treats older women. That's a big mission, which only means we all need to be involved and we need to get going now. And today I have the great pleasure of talking with Tracy Gendrum, a woman whose work I greatly admire. Tracy Gendrum, PhD, is an associate professor and chair of the Department of Gerontology and the executive director of the Virginia Center on Aging at Virginia Commonwealth University. Dr. Gendron has a Master of Science in Gerontology, a Master of Science in Psychology, and a Doctorate in Developmental Psychology. She also is the author of the book, Ageism Unmasked, Exploring Age Bias and How to End It. Her research is focused on the language, expression, and perpetuation of ageism and aging society, as well as on elderhood as a stage of development. Her personal and professional goal is to understand, raise awareness of, and disrupt, disrupt the deeply embedded, normalized, and invisible ageism that is within us all. Welcome, Tracy. I'm so happy you're here today. Thank you, Sarah. I am absolutely delighted to be here. So just to get started, Tracy, let me ask you, do you experience getting older? And if so, what is that experience? And if not, why is it that you think that you don't? So I would hope that everybody would answer this question and say yes, that that of course we all experience getting older um, and that that experience is nuanced and different for each person. So I, I think as a gerontologist, one of the things that I know that I have studied and that I like to share with people is that aging is like this beautiful, complex process, as is growing old, because aging is something that we all do every moment of our lives. And there's nobody that isn't aging. So we're all aging and we're all growing older. Growing older isn't just about how our bodies change over time. It's about how our psyche changes, how our emotions change, how we have more coping mechanisms, how we adapt to things differently. So growing older to me is this beautiful, complex, integral part of who I am. 
and who I continue to become. To me, aging is becoming. So growing old is becoming. Um, and I would never want to disassociate myself from that. And I, I would hope that other people wouldn't want to either because there's so much that we have to be proud of about our aging. And there's so much I'm proud of that I continue to learn and accomplish as I get older. That's lovely, Tracy. I think that um, sometimes when I'm talking to people and they are oh, having another birthday and, and I'm thinking, you know, getting older is a gift. A lot of people in the world don't have the gift of getting older. Yeah. And, um, you know, the only alternative <laughs> is, is to die. Exactly. Um, you know, that's it's one or the other. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And again, there's so much more we continue to get better at as we get older. Like what? Like being more uniquely yourself. You know, I think that is the most powerful piece. So we get more and more comfortable in our own skin as we get older because we know ourselves better. And we work really hard to get to know ourselves and get to know what our strengths are. You know, if I talk to anybody and I ask them the question, you know, what are some things that you like about yourself better now than you did 10 years ago or 20 years ago or even five years ago? Everyone will have something to say, like, you know what? I worked really hard to overcome, you know, whatever it is or to be more comfortable with whatever it is. That's your aging. Like, that's part of growing older. So it's different for each one of us, but the universal is that we continue to evolve and grow. So I remember in your book, you have a quotation from David Bowie, who says something like, as we get older, we become more of the person we, person we were always meant been. to be. Yeah. <laughs> so is that is that how you see it? I do. I do. Yeah, I, I do. I mean, I know it's true for, for me and for others that I talk to is you just continue to become more uniquely you. And, and the funny thing is, as we grow older, we actually become less like other people and more like ourselves. So it's like, you know, we have all these developmental milestones. And we talk about that really often when it comes to like younger kids. We expect that someone can walk at a certain age and talk at a certain age and, you know, move from their back to their belly at a certain age. But older age is kind of just the opposite of that. You know, there aren't any particular milestones that way because it's so individual and we get less like each other and more like ourselves. And that's from lifetime of experiences. And it's from all of the identities that we bring with us and how the world responds to us. And I find that fascinating and I find it empowering. I love that. So um, I am, I always um, ask women that question I ask you about, do you experience getting older as a first question? And I've asked a couple hundred women that question. And I'll bet you 90% have said something like, oh, sure, physically. I feel, you know, I can't do all the things I used to do. I would, my knees hurt when I first, you know, this, that. But other than that, I feel better about myself. I feel more free to be what I am. I don't care as much what other people think. And that that's just pretty much across the board. And I have gotten 
fascinated with why hasn't our society caught up with that? Yeah. Powerful. Yeah, it's powerful. And you're right. And even, you know, gerontologists know there's theory to support that. There's research that supports that. But I think it's because we have this dominant cultural understanding of aging is decline. So we first talk about how our bodies change and we first kind of lament the physical ways that we're unable to do the things we used to do. And I think that's just become kind of the dominant conversation about what it means to get old and age. And then the afterthought is I'm more comfortable with myself. I feel, you know, more empowered to say the things that I want to say. I feel, you know, less inhibited just about being me. So there's an opportunity for us to to try to flip that narrative a little bit and talk about aging, not as decline, but as a holistic process of change. And so the more women you have and men that get to say that, I think the more contagious in a good way that becomes. Oh, I just had a question I wanted to ask you about what you just said. I don't know. It will come back to me. It'll come back. Oh, I know. It was. um, So we did we in in our society and in the U.S. society, did we ever revere the elderly hmm. i know in other other cultures and they they do and they, they have and they do but did we ever and if we did why did we lose it that's a great question and i'm not sure how long you have but i can talk <laughs> about that one for for a good while um that actually was one of the questions that got me to write the book because i wanted to understand that so the short of it is If you go all the way back to like ancient texts and looking at, you know, biblical references, references from ancient China and ancient Egypt, you see something really interesting. So you see that there was reverence for older people and older people were, you know, often called the elders of the church, the keepers of knowledge. You know, if you think about more tribal societies, elders were revered as the people that held the history. They knew the area, they knew the safe places to get water, they knew, you know, cures for things. So you see early references to that. But you know what you also see early references to? It's aging as a process of disease and almost like a cure for aging in and of itself. So the story about aging has always been complicated. And I think it's because aging itself is complicated. Like I said, it's kind of these contradictory mechanisms that happen at the same time. And, you know, I I think that just muddies the water, so to speak. So I think you have had reverence for elders. I think in terms of the U.S. history, one of the pivotal points was the Industrial Revolution. Um, And there's things that happened, you know, obviously before and after. But that was the point where I think we really took a fork in the road of starting to devalue what it meant to be old. Um, And that's because families kind of moved away from each other. We started to really look at productivity and efficiency as how we wanted to, to manage ourselves in the workplace. And older people started to get seen as the old way of doing things. Um, And then technology just kind of fueled that and increased that. And there's several other pieces of it, but um, there's always been kind of an element of complication to that, to that question. 
That's interesting because, I mean, it, um, other countries went through industrializing and the technology, technological revolution. It's, I wonder if, and you know far more about this than I do, I wonder if sort of at the the base, our our culture is so individualistic and go get them and um, frontier and um, all of that. And that sort of as a general statement doesn't sit well with older people. It's, it's more of a young thing. So, so it's embedded in, in, in the fabric of our culture in a way. Yeah. I'll say two things about that. I agree with you. I think that this focus we have on maintaining our independence at all costs also fuels it because we pathologize what it means to be dependent, even though we are always interdependent. That's a myth. Independence is a myth. We are always interdependent on other people. So I do think there's that kind of pull yourself up by your bootstraps mentality that we have to be fiercely independent and and that contributes to it. But I will also say ageism is pretty pan-cultural at this point. So it's it's widespread and there's evidence that it exists in every continent, um, in all cultures. And as communities become more capitalistic in nature, ageism increases. So you are seeing it kind of across the board. Well, that's disappointing. Mm. <laughs> it is. It just means there's more work to do. We can there's, do more, there's just more work to do. So I I have read, and tell me if this is true, that uh, one of the gains and losses in uh, getting older is in intelligence. Yes. It's both a gain and a loss. Is that true? Yes. Yes. There's something called crystallized intelligence and something called fluid intelligence. And crystallized intelligence is kind of built off of our lived experiences. So the longer we live, the more experiences we have, the more crystallized intelligence we have. Fluid intelligence is a little bit more about um, kind of the, the processing that goes behind it. And with age, we don't process things as quickly as we used to. Um, however, when you account for that, like in studies, um, there's kind of this adaptation effect that happens that people can still process and use their lived experiences to have just as much intelligence as younger people. Um, so there's adaptive mechanisms to it. But yeah, it's a great concept of how you can experience both decline and growth in one thing. I love that. I love that. So do you experience ageism in academia the same way women particularly, but both genders, but particularly women do in corporations? I mean, there's been a lot right, written about that now. Is that true for for your um little your corner of corner the world? Of the world. Yeah, that's a great question. Um I feel a little insulated from that because I'm in gerontology. So, you know, I guess we're kind of a different breed because we're studying aging. Um, and, and I feel like that's just a little bit different. But in the discipline as a whole, yeah, for sure. Even in the way that we do research. Um, and academia itself, I, I don't think it's immune from ageism. I think that it probably plays out as as it does in other disciplines where 
we start to, again, kind of devalue older ways of doing things um, and start to make assumptions and judgments about people that may or may not be true, like older people can't use technology as well as younger people can. I think we all fall into those traps, no matter what industry that you're in. So I don't think that that academics is is immune from that at all. But you haven't experienced that yourself because of your field, probably. Not at work. Not at work. Um, or at least not explicitly. I have mm-hmm. implicitly. I have um, when I've been in meetings and I hear people say things like, you know, I'm not going to tell you how long I've worked here because um, it might date me. I've had people say things like, uh, I'm, I can't remember what room we're meeting in because I'm old after all. Um, I, I hear it all the time. And typically because I'm me and I wrote a book on it, every time something like that happens, everybody looks at me. <laughs> Are you going to say something? <laughs> like, I guess I'm going to say something. So I hear it informally constantly. Yeah, and in, in that sense, in a way, we're our own worst enemies because we're the ones who say, oh, senior moment. Oh, I can't remember. You know, we other people don't, you know, younger people don't say that's a senior moment nearly so often as we say. Yes. I just had a senior moment. Exactly. Exactly. And that's that, you know, relational kind of contagious way that we give it back and forth to people. Because when we talk about being older in that way, even though younger people may not, say it, they hear it. They hear and it. And they internalize it. Right. So then they learn it from us. So that indoctrination begins so early. I mean, really, really early. Um, yeah. How do we begin to counteract that in children? I think that we need to really start to take a critical look at how we expose children to ageism um, inadvertently. You know, people are not born ageist. It's not something that's like innate. We learn. We learn these biases. And when you think about our beloved characters um, that happen in, in fairy tales and children's books, and it's very often falling into the trap of the wicked old witch and the beautiful young princess. Um, it's very often Um, You know, just demonizing an older person as being out of touch or silly or feeble or frail. And I I think that we need to be a little bit more critical about what we read to our kids, about the movies that we're watching with them, and then also about our own role modeling, the things that we say to them. You know, if we are making a concerted effort to continue to look young and act young and use that language, our kids get that from us. They internalize that from us. And then one of the very best things that we can do for younger children is have them spend time with older people. Developing organic relationships is actually the most efficient and effective way to address ageism. Real relationships that matter. You know, I was, um, who, maybe Ashton Applewhite. I was talking to somebody and, and what I learned, and I guess I knew somewhere in the back of my mind, but hadn't brought to the forefront, was that there are some children who have no old people in their lives. Yep. None. 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 And those are the ones that are more at risk of learning about what it means to age from books, from media, from, you know, advertisements. That That's a high risk. Because they don't have a role model. That's right. Yep. 
So you're, you talked about being in the room and people looking at you. To, uh, you know, how is she going to react? How do you react when somebody says, um, gosh, Tracy, you don't look your age at all? Yeah, that's always such a fun topic of conversation. So obviously the answer is it depends. It depends on who it is. It depends on if there's a power dynamic. I mean, there most of the time I'll try and say something, but if it's someone who has a position of authority over me, I may not feel comfortable in that moment saying something. But for the most part, if somebody says, you know, you don't look your age or you look great for your age, I'll be like, I think you're trying to tell me that I look great and thank you. But I, I am my age and I've worked really hard for all that I have, you know, learned to be this age or I am proud to be this age um, or don't call me. I'm 52. Don't call me 52 years young. I'm 52 years old. Right. And I'm good with being old. So it's, I'll pull one of those things out. I, um, you, you, you must get this also. I, uh, I have any number of women say to me, Sarah, it would be better if you didn't talk about older women. And I say, well, we are older women. Nobody would point at me and say, see that younger woman over there? Um, and so I think, I mean, that's this is almost impossible. But I think one of the things is to change the meaning of those words for us. Older is good. I mean, yes. I don't know how we do that, but older is good. It is not bad. I agree with you completely. And I don't think... We will ever find a euphemism, ever find a word that's suitable until we destigmatize what it means to be old, because they are all just covering that up. So, yeah, the power is in old is not bad. Right. Old just means like longer lived. That's all it means. Young is not good. Young just means shorter lived. So if we stop using these words with judgment right. and we stop taking the stigma, you know, away from it. We start taking the stigma away. So why is that important? I sometimes, when I'm railing against ageism, particularly gendered ageism, because that's really what I deal with, sometimes people, I will be on my high horse about it probably, and somebody will say to me, oh, Sarah, that's just the way it is. Why does it matter? Why does it matter, Tracy? Oh, there's so many reasons why it matters. So, I mean, we can start with that it matters to our health and our happiness. And there's an abundance of research that shows that how we feel about our own aging impacts our health. It impacts our longevity. It makes us more at risk for depression, more at risk for social isolation, um, you know, more at risk for um, just having a lower sense of life satisfaction, a lower sense of purpose. So it actually, it really does matter to us. Each individual has a stake in this. It's, of course, just to me, the right thing to do to create a, a society that values people at all ages and stages. But there are real tangible ways that it impacts our health. There are real tangible ways it impacts the economy. There are real tangible ways that it impacts industries and keeps them from actually like making money. When we take out the uh, voices of older people and the wants and needs of older people, we're not innovating in the same way that we could. And we're essentially leaving opportunities on the table. So there's so many reasons that it matters. And just because it seems insurmountable, seems insurmountable, doesn't mean that it is. If you go back and you look at kind of ways that we have changed cultural messages before, look at how we used to talk about smoking. Look at how we used to talk about seatbelts. 
I mean, that was like a huge thing that people didn't want to use seatbelts. Now it is absolutely ubiquitous. You get in the car, you put your seatbelt on. It's not even an argument that we have anymore. So we can do the hard things. We can change it. It just kind of takes building that critical mass of people. And we also, um, I mean, as in some ways, I sort of see what we're doing now as the second women's, again, with gendered ages, and the second yeah. women's movement in my lifetime. There have yeah. been other ones, but in my lifetime. Because in the 60s and 70s, it's not that everything is done by any means, but we made big strides in changing the way women were seen and, and treated in the society. And so that happened. And so I remain convinced that this can happen too. I agree. So what do you, Tracy, what does aging successfully mean? You use the term aging successfully. What does that mean to you? And do you think you're doing it? Oh, that's such a good question. So in the book, I really, I think I get on my high horse and I complain a lot about this term successful aging because like the beginning of our conversation, I don't think that you can define success in one way. And I think my goal is to empower people to create their own definition of success. Success looks different for all of us. So what what you want for your older years is going to look very different, maybe, maybe not, than what I want for my older years. Um, but I think we need to dismantle this idea of success as maintaining physical health and maintaining cognitive health. Yes, maintaining health is a lovely thing. We want to be able to participate in the things we want to participate in. But because aging does include some level of physical decline, we are also all going to experience disability and illnesses um, and, you know, ways that our body will no longer function the way that they did. And that doesn't mean we're not successful at all. In fact, more older people are happier, even with disability and with physical limitations. Um, so I think for me right now, what is my definition of success? For me, my definition of success is being able to talk to as many people about ageism and aging as possible and creating the movement and spreading the movement. It gives me so much joy. It gives me so much purpose. Um, it really does fuel me. It's the thing I think about when I get up. It's the thing I'm grateful for when I go to sleep. And I hope that everybody else can kind of take that and think to themselves, you know, what gives me purpose and passion and maybe have their definition of success around that because it could be anything. But what gives you meaning? Why do you wake up in the morning and where do you hope to spend your time? That's success. Where can you find joy in your day? That's success. You know, how can you pass on happiness to somebody else? That's success. So I, I think I, I want to crack that open for people. I love that. That's beautiful. You have done so much in this area. So at this point in time, what what questions are you living with? I am um, I'm fascinated by a couple of things right now. So the two areas that I am exploring and I'm getting into some more research on is generational ageism and really thinking about, critically thinking about this concept of generational categories and how the way that we have used it is feeding ageism. Um, is ageism kind of a cyclical pattern 
where we discriminated against younger people and it feeds their discrimination of older people and their future selves. So I'm really thinking about that right now. I think it's a relatively unexplored area. Um, that's one thing. And the other thing I'm giving a lot of thought to is the relationship between ageism and ableism. Because I actually think a lot of what we call ageism is actually fear of losing ability, which is ableism. So I'm, I'm wanting to disentangle those things and I'm wanting to understand them more. And, and that's just, that's my obsession at the moment is kind of just reading and figuring those things out and asking people questions to understand that better. And so in addition to your professional things about um, questions, what are your dreams that you haven't realized yet? Mm. Well, oh, that's such a good question. I think that would probably be focused more on my kids, focused more on seeing who it is that they are becoming, the path that they are going to take, seeing where they're going to find joy in the world, seeing them figure out their purpose and their passion. Um, that's a dream. I think another one is being with my parents in their elderhood, um, learning from them about that time in their life and being very present with them during that time of their life. That's something that not necessarily a dream, but something that I guess I feel a, a, a real sense of, of wanting, you know, to, to be with them and to be present in that. Um, and then other dreams realized, I can't wait to visit more places. I want to travel. I want to see other cultures. I want to just be in physical places that I have not been um, to feel what it's like to step out of my little bubble and to know what it's like to be in other people's existences. Uh, I, I think that's that's a dream that I hope to realize. Oh, that's lovely. And now you can again, or, or hopefully soon. Absolutely. Yep. yep. I can. I wouldn't. Yeah, I uh, I would encourage everybody who's listening that if you if you still have older people uh, in your life, um, learn from them. Um, both of my parents are gone, and I'm so sorry that I didn't learn more from them because that knowledge is gone. Um, and you, that's not something you can't redo. I think I'll go back and do that over again. Oh, I don't think so, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly. Oh. So no time soon, certainly, Tracy, but when you leave this earth, what do you hope your legacy is? I really hope that, you know, I have moved the needle. I really hope that when I leave, we will have reached that critical mass to start to embrace what it means to be old, to start to have a society that values people at all ages and all stages for their uniqueness, for their contributions. And even if we're not ever fully there yet, because you know, it's like we're never going to eradicate isms. Um, I would, I'd really like to have my legacy be that it changed it somehow, that at least it influenced it in some way, shape, or form, um, and that people feel like they matter all throughout their lives, young and old, young and old. Right. Yeah. That's, 
You know, I would have said as recently as a, a year or two ago that I don't know, Tracy, if that needle is going to move in my or your lifetime. But I'm not sure about that anymore. I think that I think it may be possible. I've really too. changed how I see that over the, just the last year or two. I do too. I, I actually think we're on the cusp of it. I, I think do more people are talking about it. And I think we're going to start to reach people earlier in life. And I think that that is the key. You know, we're going to start to really embed these messages, as you said, among young children, among high school students, among college age students, people in their 20s. And then that builds. So I have hope. And I would encourage you to keep doing whatever work or thinking you're doing on that, getting rid of our generational terms, because I don't think they help us at all. I agree. I agree. I think they set us back. So, <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. So Tracy, if people wanted to get in touch with you, how could they do that? They can look me up on LinkedIn. That's one really easy way. Feel free to look me up and connect with me. And you can always email me at tg at tracygendron.com. So you can reach out to me there. Um, and please do. I, I love to hear from people. So that's our time today. Thank you so much, everyone, for joining us. You can find out our Prime Spark podcast on every popular outlet. Find out more about Prime Spark at www.primesparkwomen.com. Thank you so much to my guest, Tracy Gendrum. And don't forget, you can find her on LinkedIn and you can also uh, email her at tg at tracy, T R A C E Y. Gendrum, G-E-N-D-R-O-N.com. Thank you for being with us today. Spread tolerance and love. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed today's episode and would like to stay updated, you can head over to my website, primesparkwomen.com, and get my free spark guide, Seven Questions to Ignite Your Spark to help you discover your own spark. See you in the next episode.